Hello everyone, welcome back to the Outplay 2021 Finals Dramatic Readings. Just Some Guy continues to read for a kidnew, and the tension ratchets up a notch. Day 2, Phase 2. Enjoy. In a ping-pong match, a ball is paddled back and forth between two contestants, generally picking up speed as each hits it a little harder or with a different angle or spin in an attempt to score a point. This was similar to the scene with Rocky and Bartholomew, except it was a giant boulder being tossed back and forth. The goal here was to crush their opponent with the stone. The bishop initially served, Rocky returned. The stone caught Bartholomew's shoulder and continued to fly backward, just as his lasso wrangled it and again using its momentum, again through the poisonous rock back at Rocky. Why? Bartholomew sneered back at Rocky. Because you are a blight in this world, and because the more of your souls I capture, the more powerful I become. It was a short exchange, but it was enough time for Agaris to retrieve Eleth's scythe and use it as inspiration to deliver another magically laced tale of courage to bolster his allies. Magna would need it. Without the aid of a blanket like Rocky's, or fancy boots like Agaris's, her walking stick was not strong enough alone to bat aside the boulder that had been tossed her way. But Sir Orfeo's inspiration put just enough pep in her step to avoid being crushed. Now it was Magna's turn to conjure up magical tendrils of energy. Hers were like vines from the swamps where she had spent so much of her life. One vine whacked the bishop upside the head in the same manner one would discipline a schoolboy. The other grabbed the staff with which the bishop was controlling his magical lassos. Still reeling in days from the earlier blow, Bartholomew was unable to hold onto the staff, which was taken from his hands and tossed away. The wooden shaft clanked on the ground a few times, rolling a bit before coming to rest at Magna's feet. The bishop was far from defeated, his face contorted as he raised his hands, and now perhaps to deliver that sermon he missed earlier. Somehow the bishop appeared less holy and regal than he had earlier in the day. Something sinister was showing in his face and demeanor. May the flames of the gods have mercy on your souls. Pillars of intense heat appeared above Magna, Rocky, and Agaris, and quickly descended on them. This was no divine flame strike, however. The flames engulfed the companions were clearly hellfire. Again, instinct takes over. There is no time for fear, or doubt, or hope, or resolve, or even confusion. As the bishop hurls the same boulder back, Rocky wraps the soft blanket around an arm and raises it protectively like a shield, just in case. He has no intention of standing his ground like his kin. Instead, he sidesteps the attack, using the blanket to absorb whatever little impact remains from the glancing blow as the rock flies by. Only in the short lull that follows does the Terran have time to process all the action. Thanks to Occam's mental encouragement, he feels somewhat better now. He is still uncertain and anxious, especially with the abrupt loss of the spirit's telepathy, but he knows that his past actions are not binding. Faced with another psionic blast, he might flee again. In fact, there is no doubt that he will. But until that time, he will still help, in whatever little ways he can. Souls the bishop's words are both illuminating and confusing. Rocky had been puzzled by what he felt in Foosbar earlier. It made no sense that the prisoners would be casually playing darts and filling out surveys as if unaware of their predicament. But if capturing souls is the objective, perhaps they are being kept in good spirits to preserve the quality of their souls? 
But how could such a despicable act increase the bishop's power? And why are the crossing companions a blight on this world, when all they do is try to help people? And what is a blight, anyway? Confused, Rocky gives up on extracting further meaning from the bishop, he seems preoccupied with the witch's magical vines, and turns instead to the wise dwarf for an explanation. Magna will know. Like Case, he respects and admires her greatly for the intelligence he lacks. How so make power? Why we blight? Finally, the Terran's poor, overworked brain returns to the problem of deciphering the half-elf's speech. Rocky is truly glad to have a linguistic powerhouse like Igoris for a friend. His words create a strange, tingly feeling that others would recognize as confidence. But sometimes it feels like the merchant's son is speaking another language. And what exactly is Igoris telling them to do? Sometimes, even more than the words themselves, the elemental is defeated by metaphor and symbolism. Quoth Igoris, Like Sor Ophio, I am swift of tongue and can sway hearts of stone. Out of necessity to simplify, Rocky focuses on just the last part of the half-elf speech. After all, the last part is the most important, isn't it? Hearts of stone. That's a symbol, or code name, or metaphor for himself, isn't it? And swift of tongue. That must mean the plan is to talk the bishop into giving up his evil ways. Though unskilled with words, the elemental is nonetheless relieved, for the alternative beating the enemy senseless, is not something he enjoys. That's the main reason why he misses Elliot, even though he barely knows the elf who speaks even less than himself. The scythe would do what this Terran, and other elves, cannot. Swift Tongue Reaching down, Rocky prepares himself by picking up his sunglasses and sliding them on. There is a word that Glass taught him that applies here. Not in a strictly literal sense, but also not in a manner that is completely removed or even contrary to its original meaning. What is it? Ah, uh, yes. Showtime. Cool. With slow, heavy steps, Rocky advances upon the bishop. The elemental's exterior facade is as hard and impassive as a rock. But inside, the Terran is an agitated bundle of nerves. It's one thing to crash a party. It's an entirely different matter to confront a dangerous magic user. Fortunately, Magna's vines have ripped away Bartholomew's magical staff. So, knowing he has the support of his friends, Rocky continues onward. Cool. Over and over, the Terran repeats this mantra in his mind. This time he's not trying to look cool. Rather, he's trying to appear intimidating. An appearance which, fortunately, 
comes naturally with his physique. Rocky does not have a swift tongue. He needs to compensate with a strong physical presence. He tries to focus on looking big and mean and scary, remembering what Magna has taught him about frightening the enemy into surrender. Cool. No, it's the inside he needs to keep cool this time. He can't afford to panic. Not now. Not. Foosh! A great column of searing flame completely engulfs the elemental. Flashback. Here we are, Rocky! Bub rolled in a wheelbarrow covered with a colorful tarp. Probably my finest creation, if I do say so myself. Your head isn't exactly a standard size. May I proudly present to you your sunglasses of infinite coolness. With an exaggerated flourish, the gnome removes the tarp, revealing a large pair of dark, stylish shades. Go ahead, try them on. Groovy. Rocky rumbled in a deep, grateful voice as he complied with the request. After a few moments, he asked a clarifying question that demonstrated his still tenuous command of the common tongue. Cool. Fire no yuck. The gnome shook his head with a weak smile. No, not that kind of cool. Cool as in, well, you know, cool. I've explained it to you many times before. They're cool. An exasperated tone betrayed the repetitive nature of this conversation. Unperturbed, Rocky responded in a satisfied tone that changed his question into an affirmative declaration. Cool. Fire no yuck. <sighs> Foreseeing a losing battle, the gnome surrendered with a sigh. Yes, Rocky. Fire no yuck. Here now, put the sunglasses back in the wheelbarrow. I'll need another week to do some more work. Let's see now. Where's Bigby's standard reference for magical item creation? Ah, there it is. Reaching up, Bub grabbed a tome off of a bookshelf and started flipping through it. Let's see. Resist fire. Protection from fire. Out of the raging inferno emerges a ten-ton monolith of incandescent rock. Flames sizzle and dance over the red glowing stones, but the elemental seems completely unaffected by the fire. He continues his steady, inexorable advance with a pace that is neither faster nor slower, just completely indifferent to its brief stroll through hell. The sunglasses of infinite coolness have performed their job perfectly even protecting Rocky's other belongings as well. The blanket smolders, but is unharmed. Or perhaps in reality, Rocky is so inspired by Agaris' speech that he doesn't even feel the heat. Whatever passes for adrenaline for elements must be coursing through his non-existent veins. It's up to Rocky to finish the job. There is one final touch he needs to get right. One special move and one special word, taught by his mischievous tabaxi friend, Glass. He focuses, bracing himself for this final push. 
Rocky doesn't stop until he is next to Bartholomew, when the contrast is greatest, a behemoth of jagged rock adorned with flickering flame towers over the puny bishop. The Terran tilts his head, looking down at the man like a noble, disdainfully inspecting something stuck to the bottom of his shoe. Cool. This is it. A single, stony finger touches the bridge of his shades, sliding them halfway down his nose, so the two unblinking eyes as hard and emotionless as diamonds, peer just over the sunglasses. An expectant pause. And now, the one-word question. Really? A blight on this world, is it? Igarus rolled an eye. The bishop might have a way with magic, but he was no poet. The second line, though, about capturing souls. Now that was revealing and showed that Rocky's talents extended well into interrogation. Perhaps the elemental was deeper and more subtle than he appeared, if he could extract that motivation with a one-word question. There was a chance here, time to close with the enemy and show him the error of his ways. Rocky's thrown rock and Magna's vines had staggered Bartholomew for a moment, and Igarus took that opportunity. He began to sprint forward, where the bishop would not have space to wind up a rock, and any blast of hellfire. That had not been where the thought was going. Like his thoughts, Igarus changed direction abruptly as a column of flame burst into being. Unfortunately, it was magical flame and tracked him as he dodged. There was no way to avoid it, and Igarus simply had to rely on willpower to see. He thought of Sir Orfeo. The legendary knight had never faced hellfire, only the tricks of fairy, but his tale was an inspiration indeed. A bit of raw willpower, it seemed, was enough to throw off the effects beyond the cosmetic. Igarus patted out a couple of smouldering patches on his coat as he returned to his sprint and his racing thoughts. Rocky was there, already looming over Bartholomew. Igarus could help, unbalancing the man before Rocky gave him a mental shove. But no, Rocky was too fast and too concise. Concise, that's one way to put it laughed Icarus's mental voice. Ah well, best to close in anyway. Any fresh blast of hellfire. And now it was an intentional, grimly ironic thought. Would catch the bishop as well. Perhaps, if he was the demon he seemed to be revealing, it would have no effect. But Icarus had to make the gamble. As he emerged from the pillar of flame, his clothes singed and his hair trailing foul-smelling smoke, Icarus began his diatribe. Do you realise how much effort it is to look the part? Obviously you do, because you are no true priest, are you? You are a fiend, some never being sent to do away with us. Servant of a greater master, of course. Things like you never act independently. Anyway, I was criticising you about your efforts. Your declaiming is faulty. You mumble. You even mix your clichés. It's supposed to be gods have mercy on your souls because flames are notoriously unfeeling and not exactly full of mercy. Icarus paused and shook his head sadly. Not only that, but you follow it up with an attack that goes for the superficial, the visible, rather than the core. You are like an archer afraid of the gold, like a pie cook who can only make a crust. And that burned. Look, just look what you have done to my hair. The hair in question was, once, neatly arranged, 
but the events of the day had already marred it with acidic slime, magical fog and frost, and dust from the collapsing chapel. Igorus was not going to let that obstruct him in his obfuscation, and, as the poet said, this frail boasteth that he knoweth hell, and God it would that it is little wonder, frayers and fiends being but light asunder. Since you do not seem like a scholar, a poet, or even much of a priest, the point is that your boasts are hollow, and that fiends, like you, are little separated from friars, like you pretend to be. Artistic license, again. For the bishop was playing the part of a wealthy, settled man, rather than that of a mendicant preacher. Yet it served. The longer Igorus could hold his foe's attention, the better a time his allies would have of closing in and bashing Bartholomew. And the blame is redoubled, Igorus added in a sterner, quieter tone. For the self-same poet argues, If gold rust, what shall iron do? For if a priest be foul on whom we trust, no wonder is a lurid man to rust. So your rot, in a position of trust, is a betrayal most foul, most contagious. That is the true blight, false priest. You, and your deceptions, and your depredations. It ends today. Very well, thought Igorus. I am not immune to clichés myself. Don't you listen to him, Rocky. If anyone's the blight here, it's him. Anything he says is just to hurt you, like he wants to do to our friends under the ground. Okay, so she wasn't above a little emotional blackmail in the heat of combat, but she was hardly being dishonest. How many of the companions might have been hurt, or maybe even killed already in that mysterious underground cell? She couldn't shake the image of Sorbo's distraught face when he had told her that Rudin was gone. Losses were a part of the job, unfortunately, but that didn't make it any easier. The bishop's staff clattered to her feet, and Magna put her boot on it. She had hoped that taking his arcane focus might limit his magic, but it soon became apparent that old Barty Boy had a few more tricks up his sleeve. Pillars of ungodly hellfire spun into existence from above and descended towards them. Magna barely glanced up, summoning an invisible shield with a practiced flick of her staff in an impatient huff. When at the top of the shield, it engulfed it, pouring down its sides like a liquid unable to penetrate the invisible sphere. The inferno raged, and Magna booted the staff outside of the shield so that it could burn away to ashes in the bishop's own flame. When the tendrils of heat and light died down, Magna stood firmly, glaring out from behind them like a wildfire in her own right. The bishop was looking and sounding increasingly twisted and manic. If you're going to turn into a giant ugly monster, just get on with it, would you? She demanded impatiently, eager for an end to this carriage wreck of a day. The old witch flexed her fingers, tried to shake the numb, tingling sensation that was building up in her hands, frazzled nerve endings from channeling too much magic. Adrenaline and exhaustion were waging an ongoing battle for her mind and body, but she would not kneel to them so easily. Personally, she had no interest in questioning Bartholomew. Honestly, at this point she was starting to lose interest in even taking him alive, but Rocky was already making his steady, unrushed approach, and Igaris was in full flow, so it wasn't like she could have got a word in edgeways even if she had wanted to. Yes, that man certainly had a way with words. She'd often reprimanded him for not shutting up during training, but when you weren't on the receiving end of one of his discombobulating monologues, it was almost a pleasure to hear him work. Despite her impatience for a conclusion, she could tell that Rocky needed answers, and although she wasn't entirely sure that he would understand the ones he got from the crazed fiend, she wouldn't deny him the chance to try. One chance. Then he was getting his teeth knocked out. With a wearied intake of breath, she weaved an illusion over the elemental, 
making him appear even larger and more intimidating than he already was. The jagged outcrop of his shoulders became sawtoothed spires of basalt, and where his plates shifted and slid against one another, glowing lines of magma revealed themselves. Rocky was already shimmering from the heat of the flames, but now he cracked and popped too, spitting chunks of red-hot rock and bubbles of molten lava out at all angles, which formed into a twisting hurricane around him and the so-called holy man. It had occurred to her that she might freak out the gentle giant if she went too far, so she thudded her staff rhythmically on the ground as she worked, knowing that the elemental would pick up on the vibrations and understand what was going on. 